Before coming to Malaysia, I loved monkeys. I'd seen them in Aladdin. Monkeys were basically lovable. They were fun. They were cute. And then we moved here and went on holiday. I remember in the hotel room seeing this little sign, Dear valued guests, we highly advise you to ensure all doors and windows are locked at all times to prevent monkeys from entering your room. I was like, this sounds awesome. Should you require any assistance? Yada, yada, yada. Now, I was like, that seems a little bit mean. I, I can't wait to befriend a monkey. The next morning, I woke up and outside our window was a whole troop of big, unfriendly, angry monkeys and they were blocking our front door. And I said to Kate, don't worry, I'll go and shoo them away. So I went up to the window and I went, shoo shoo, to which this big monkey then jumped up to the window right up close and bared its teeth. At which point I thought, I'm not, I'm not having that. Like, so I, I squared up to it through the window, like, come on. And then it did it back. And I was like, oh, you've called my bluff. So I just shut the curtains. We like to think that we are at the top of the pyramid of power, but the truth is we're often not. There are even quite a few animals that prey on humans, the most dangerous of which were a surprise to me. So in, in the top 10 predators of humans, you have scorpions and snakes, that makes sense, but then also freshwater snails, unexpected. Then the assassin bug, kind of in the name. At number four is dogs. I mean, they're supposed to be man's best friend. I don't know who does their PR, but they're obviously good at their job. Then at number two, it's humans. We are our own second worst enemy. But at number one, humanity's most dangerous predator is not sharks, not tigers, not bintang bear, but mosquitoes. Now, there is actually a predator even more dangerous than all of these put together. And that is sin. There are quite a few dimensions to what the Bible calls sin. The simplest way to think about it is first as a, a posture of our hearts that I prefer me to everyone else. And then it's the things that I do acting out on that self-centeredness. But after that comes another dynamic that sin acts as a, a force around us. And in our reading today, God describes sin as a predator. And understanding sin in this way helps us make sense of three important questions that we all need an answer for. One, what's wrong with the world? Two, what's wrong with us? And thirdly, how does God respond to all this wrongness? Our reading today is from Genesis chapter four, and it's the story of Cain and Abel. So this is Genesis chapter four, verses one to 16. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Amen. So, what's the answer to our questions? What's wrong with the world and what's wrong with us? Well, unsurprisingly, the the answer is sin. Sin that works in us and through us and around us. Maybe not a surprise. But the third question, how does God respond to this? This is the unexpected bit. Because just in the moment that we think that God will pull away from us and the world, he comes close. This is the main takeaway. If you remember nothing else from today, in Jesus, God sides with us against our sin, not against us because of our sin. The default of the sinful heart is is to hide, to think that because of what we've done, God has written us off. But what we see is that in the battle against sin, God sides with us against sin, not against us because of our sin. But before we see what it looks like for God to side with us against our sin, we we have to feel this moment for ourselves. We have to to see the cane in us, if you like. I used to read this story and think, surely, surely no one would hurt their brother in this way. And then we had kids, and it is astounding the things one sibling will do to another. And then you look at the wider world, humanity's pretensity to muck things up. It's pretty spectacular. Like humans have been traveling into space for for 61 years. And as of last year, there are over 200,000 pieces of space junk left behind by us that could destroy a satellite or a spaceship and need to be tracked. Pristine environment, now a mess. Or the internet. We created an entirely new world within a short amount of time. There are whole parts of it that you can't go if you value your virtue and emotional health. Like TikTok, for example, about four years old, now has to employ 4,000 people alone to help their AI manage content moderation and filter damaging content. These stories are given to us in the Bible, not just because they happened, but because they still happen. They happen around us. They happen within us and they happen through us. Try and see yourself in this moment. Try and feel this moment. This is what happens. First, great expectations. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Adam definitely got the better end of that deal. Uh, She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. 
Adam and Eve, in the previous chapter, they've, they've turned their back on God and death has entered into the world. And immediately God comes to them and declares that he will save them and that he'll do this through one of their descendants. And to here, I think Eve is like, it's here. She thinks Christmas has come, that the savior has arrived. This is us whenever we hear of some utopian new idea that's going to solve the world's problems or a work solution that will streamline everything or a new relationship that will make you feel whole. That, that product that and I so easily fall for this, like the last 10 iPhones didn't satisfy my soul, but oh, when I upgrade to iOS 16, ooh. Uh, like this is the longing and expectation for things to be made right. And these brothers are born into that expectation. I wonder what expectations you are living under. What are you working towards? What are you investing your life in? What are you hoping for? Then in all of this, Cain and Abel bring offerings to God. We read in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And we all do this. This is what humans do. We are endlessly, ceaselessly offering our lives to something or someone. We, we go to work and we offer our time and our effort and are rewarded, hopefully, with our salary. We go on social media and we offer our images and rewarded, hopefully, with positive interactions. Like uh, We offer our time to our friends in the hope of strengthened relationships. But it's not all plain sailing, is it? We read, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And this is such an insightful story for life because as we make these offerings, some of them will be accepted and others rejected. You date the girl, then after a few months, she says, sorry, bye. You, you work hard for the promotion and someone else gets it. You, you post your best selfie and it only gets two likes. And one of those is from my mum. Like you give what you think is your best and it comes to nothing. And it's not that just you don't seem to be winning, is that when you look to your side, you see an Abel, an Abel who's offered their life and it seems to have been accepted and they're prospering and flourishing and doing well and getting the promotion and the likes. So the question is, how will you respond? Those words, so Cain, was dot, dot, dot. It doesn't go right, so Dan was fill in the blank. And how we respond in this moment is, is really, really important. Not all time is equal. Some moments are more important than others. Will I, will I respond in this moment with blame and bitterness or will I respond with self-reflection and accepting responsibility? Cain chooses the latter. We read, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The King James Version, I love this, puts it like this. Cain was wroth and his countenance fell. Now, in this story, Cain was in the wrong. But even if he wasn't, our reaction at this moment matters. Because in these moments, the only thing we really have any direct control over is our response to them. Uh, a friend was telling me how his young son was, was running through the house and he tripped over and he hurt himself. 
And as he sat on the floor crying, he he started hitting the floor and shouting, naughty floor, naughty floor. Now, there are often environmental reasons that we fall, but scolding the floor doesn't help us as it's probably out of the scope of our influence to, to change the floor. So even when wronged and we were in the right, we are still responsible for our reaction and our reaction is important, just as important. But here, Cain is in the wrong, and he knew it. We see that from verse seven. God says to him, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I.e., his sacrifice was wrong. What was wrong with it? Well, there are only two motives to bring an offering. One is as a worshiper, the other is as a worker. The worshiper brings an offering and says, thank you. Uh, I praise you, and it demonstrates trust. That's Abel's sacrifice. He offers the first fat of his flocks. It's a powerful image of what's going on in his heart. He offers the first animal. That demonstrates trust for the future. If you give your last animal, you already know what you're going to be okay. If you give your first animal, you're showing that you trust God to give you another. He offers the fat. This is costly. Calories were rare back then. He, he's trusting God to provide in the present and he offers of his flocks, an animal sacrifice, understood to be a picture of the forgiveness of sins. He's trusting God with his his past. Abel's sacrifice is a picture of giving all of himself in grateful worship. But Cain's offering is that of a worker. He offers to earn. He offers so that God owes him. Cain uses God as a means to an end. He doesn't want God, he wants something else. Cain doesn't give what God deserves, and he knows it. And when it's rejected, instead of taking ownership, he gets angry. It's such an important moment. It's moments like this when our heart is really revealed. The writer Eric Reed says this, I've learned this lesson. A person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their own way. Then you see the person. It's in moments like this that we really see ourselves. So imagine, I'm in this moment. I've not done what I should, and I know it, and I've been caught out, and I'm not repentant, and I'm angry, and I'm taking it out on all those around me, my kids, other drivers, the dog. So Cain was angry, and God was gracious. God sides with Cain against his sin, not against Cain because of his sin. How? He gives Cain his presence, his direction, and his protection. First, God gives Cain his presence. And this is just amazing. Like, say you're my boss, and I bring you the wrong thing, and then you give me some feedback, and I respond by being angry at you and being mean to my colleague on your team who is performing. That wouldn't go down well. If you were my boss in that situation, you probably wouldn't want to give me more of your time. You'd probably want to give me the sack. But isn't this amazing? The first thing God offers Cain after he sins is his presence. He comes to him and talks with him. So often we think that when we sin, it means that God doesn't want to be with us. But because he sides with us against our sin, not against us because of our sin, right in the moment when we least expect him to want to be close to us, he is. That is grace. Grace is presence, not withheld. And what does he do? He counsels Cain. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
And why is your face downcast? Now, this is really key. When the Lord asks a question, he is not looking to learn anything. He is not trying to work out what is going on in Cain's heart. He is asking this question to help Cain work out what is going on in his own heart. God comes to us by his Holy Spirit and he counsels us. He asks us questions. Do you, do you find this? You're reading the Bible and it feels more like it's reading you than you're reading it, especially this story. It's like, wow. What God does for Cain is what he wants to do for each of us, especially in these moments where we are about to misstep. And what he does in that moment is he seeks to show us the end from the beginning. Why? Because sin never wants you to know the end from the beginning, else you'd never opt for it. No one ever sets out to become bitter, twisted, addicted, or lonely, but it's a small step after small step. It's a great prayer when tempted. Holy Spirit, show me the end from the beginning. And the way he does this is by giving us his direction. He gives us his presence and then his direction. And this is where God describes sin as a predator says this, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is predatorial behavior. Sin is crouching. It's like a tiger in the long grass hiding. Sin hides. It hides in so many ways. It hides intellectually. I can always rationalize why I did what I did and why it was right or why it was someone else's fault. Not because the sin is small, but because it is crouching. It's always bigger than we realize. Sin crouches. It tells us, I'm not workaholism. I'm a work ethic. I'm not the idol of beauty. I'm being concerned for my health. I'm not materialism and stinginess. I'm, I'm prudence. I'm not being ruthless and cutthroat. I'm ambition. Sin says, I'm small don't worry. But sin is not small. It is crouching. But sin is also at your door. Sin says, I'll I'll stay over here. It says, "I'll, I'll be over here. Ignore me. We've got loads of time to iron out the details, but we don't. It's up close. Often, uh, when you ask people that question, you know, what's wrong with the world? Why, why war crimes? Why corruption? The answer often is a few bad people over there. We say they are different. They are monsters. But actually, ironically, in othering them, we do the very thing that they did to their victims that allowed them to do what they did. Sin isn't over there with other people. It's at your door. It's closer than you realize. Now, you might be thinking, if if sin is crouching and it's at my door, then how can I see it? And that's the beauty of community. We get to do for each other what God does for Cain. You need friends who are there on the outside, who are on the other side of the door, who can see your crouching sins and point them out to you, who can say, don't open the door. People who spend enough time with you in in close proximity that they can see what you can't see. And part of the reason this kind of community is even possible is that if you know that God sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin, if you know that he is your defender, then you don't need to be as defensive. And and so when somebody points out something in your life that is not right, it makes it a lot easier 
to receive that feedback. And this is costly for our pride, but it's important because of the last thing God tells us about sin, since predatory nature is it desires to have you. Sin wants to have all of you. You, you might just think, oh, it's just this little area of my life, but sin won't be caged. You, you could think of it like this. Sin is not done with you after you are done with it. When we lie, we're not done with lying. You have to lie again. And then it changes us because lying becomes more thinkable, which then means we become more wary of others. Because if I can lie to you, then you can lie to me. Liars always end up thinking they are being lied to. Haters uh, are eventually eaten up with hate. Gossipers end up being gossiped about. You reap what you sow. So, so it's really worth us asking, you know, what in my workplace or what in, what in my place of influence are our uh, cultural sins? The, the, the patterns of practice that don't honor God or, or serve our neighbor, things that they might seem small now, but are going to devour us later, the things we need to address. You know, at the Alpha Hub here, we, we spend quite a bit of time thinking about the culture of our workplace because culture is not just what you celebrate, it's what you tolerate. And those small things that you tolerate that are not healthy will always grow. And that's why it's worth trying to talk about them. That doesn't mean you could definitely solve them, but talking about it is the starting point. It's worth asking ourselves, you know, where in my scope of control am I allowing small things to grow that would devour us? God comes to Cain. He comes to us because it's easy to think it's no big deal. My sin is my sin's small, it's tiny, it's over there. And in fact, I think it's sleeping. No, it, it's none of those. It's crouching, it's at your door, and it desires to have you. And God directs us and warns us, because as we see in the next part of the story, with, with every, within every grudge is a little seed that wants to become murder. Every lust wants to become adultery. Every, uh, every envy wants to become robbery, and all self-pity wants to become idolatry. The power of the predator is that we underestimate it. That, that's why films like Terminator or Jaws, that's why they resonate so powerfully with us. It's not just that uh, th this predator is out to kill us, it's that we didn't realize how much power the predator possessed. In part, God sides with us because he takes pity on us. And as we realize that God sides with us against our sin, it means we can side with God for others. It what's a, that's what allows us at kind of the small end. It's when, you know, as a parent or a manager, somebody gets something wrong to call it out, but also say, let me draw alongside you and help you sort this out. And then at the larger end, it's what makes forgiveness possible. This is the foundation of being able to be merciful towards others. God sides with Cain against his sin by giving him his presence, his direction, and lastly, by giving him his protection. He not only shows him the end from the beginning, he is with him from the beginning to the end. So Cain ignores everything uh, God has said to him. He kills his brother and then God comes to him again and counsels him again. And Cain responds again by hardening his heart. And then as a result, God says, this is what is going to happen. And it's a result of what you've done, which Cain then interprets as a punishment and says, oh, my punishment is more than I can bear. Notice how he's not upset about what he's done. He's upset about the consequences. But also, he does something really interesting. 
He has minimized his sin, but he maximizes what he sees as the unfair punishment. God has said, this is what will happen. And Cain adds two things to it. He says, I will be hidden from your presence. Cain basically says, reject me completely or accept me completely. But God says, no, no, you are doing wrong, but I love you. This is our fundamental struggle to believe that God could side with us against our sin and not against us because of our sin. And, and, and this is one of the greatest challenges as a Christian to live out, to take a stand, to say this is wrong, but I bear you no ill will. In fact, I care for you. I want to protect you. I, I'm praying blessing on you. People really struggle to hear and receive that. And, and to be honest, if God is misunderstood as he does that, then we should probably expect to be misunderstood too. But don't let that keep you from trying. And then Cain also adds this, whoever finds me will kill me. And God says, no. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. This sign is not a stigma, but a sign of protection. It's a sign that says, Cain, yes, you have done wrong, but you are still under my protection. We don't know what shape the sign was, but we do know that it foreshadowed the cross. The cross says you are more sinful than you realize and yet more loved than you ever dared hope. And whereas he puts the sign on Cain, he doesn't put the sign on us. He put his son on the cross. And so anytime you see a cross, you can know that God has sided with you against your sin and you have the offer of his presence, his direction and his protection. There's a guy at our, our previous church called Rob. And uh, Rob is an alcoholic, but, but he's not had a drink for years. And, and that's really important for him because with him, it, it's never like a slight slip. It's never one drink. If he has a drink, that's it. He's gone for weeks. He won't be at work or at home. You won't see him. And when he finally does appear, it's a, it's a disaster. It's all those things that, that the predator of sin seeks to do to us. And he says, usually he doesn't struggle with temptation, but but there is one place that he does. Each year, he loves to go to Wimbledon to see the tennis. And there's a tradition there to have a glass of champagne with strawberries. And he says every year when he goes there, he really wants to join in with everyone else. And so he asks the Lord and he says, Lord, can I have a glass of champagne? And he says, every time he asks, he hears the same thing. Robert, you're worth more than that you're worth more than that. In the battle against sin, God is on our side. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Wherever you are, you might like to stand. Uh, you might like to put your hands out in front of you. And we're going to pray. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, to, to make his word alive in us, to, to help us understand and to trust his promise, the promise of the cross, that he is with us and he wants us to be free from the power of sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you promise that whenever we confess anything to you, you promise to forgive us and make us better than new, to wash us clean. And so we receive that forgiveness now. Help us know that in our hearts as well as our heads. And Lord Jesus, as we go out this week, help us be people who, 
who understand that you are with us. You are our defender and help us side with others in whatever battle they are facing. Amen. Amen. Also, today is Father's Day. And so if you are around maybe your father or grandfather or uncle or any man that you would like to pray for in this moment, why don't you grab them? And if they're happy, let's lay a hand on them and let's let's pray for them and bless them and give them uh, give thanks to God for them now. Father, we thank you that you've given us fathers and you've given us men in our lives uh, that love us and that protect us and serve us uh, and be uh, an image of what you are to us. Father, we pray blessing on our loved ones now and we ask that they would know your love too. Amen. Amen.